Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. This is the true story of church-going homemaker Brenda Andrew her devoted, successful husband, Rob, and the man who unleashed her darkest desires. It's a tale of uncontrollable sexual needs. Brenda had an insatiable appetite for sex. She flirted with every man on the block. A carefully laid trap. It was so bizarre and so diabolical. And cold-blooded murder. Home invasions where people are getting shot in the garage is, is something that doesn't happen in this particular neighborhood. Beware. Extreme passion can lead to shocking consequences. It's 1990 in the suburbs of Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. It's a family-oriented, God-fearing environment, and it's exactly the kind of place where Rob and Brenda Andrew want to raise their two children. Rob and Brenda met at uh, Oklahoma State University where they were both students. They moved to Oklahoma City uh, upon finishing college so he could start his advertising uh, career. They moved into the house next door to us. They seemed to be very, very happy and on the go all the time. Rob traveled a lot, building up many good accounts, including Disney. By the spring of 1996, the Andrews seemed to be leading a storybook life. A normal, red-blooded American, middle-class family. Two kids and a dog and a, and a happy household by appearances. Rob Andrew was very uh, devoted to his church, to God, uh, very active in the church, and uh, was uh, considered to be a great person by everybody who knew and worked with. He uh, belonged to a men's Bible study group. 
during the week. He sang in the choir. Brenda was in a ladies' Bible study group. Brenda was the classic soccer mom. When she bought her minivan, she said, now I've really become the uh, stay-at-home mom. And she was real excited about that. But while Rob and Brenda's marriage may seem perfect to others, over time, there is growing discontent. By 1997, Rob's busy work schedule begins to make Brenda feel isolated and lonely. Rob's job uh, as an uh, advertising executive uh, kept him busy, and uh, some business trips were involved in time away from home. The effect that had on the marriage was uh, Brenda was at home alone. Perhaps taking care of the two small children uh, wasn't as much fun as she thought it was originally going to be. Women romanticize that. You're going to marry the man of your dreams, then your grand love is going to produce these children, and every day is going to be about happiness. But the truth of the matter is you're going to marry a man who you might love, but who's going to really disappoint you because that's what they do. And then you're going to have kids that are going to suck you dry of all your energy. And you're going to have bills, and you're going to have pressure, and you're going to have stress, and you're going to feel angry. And after a while, Brenda's growing restlessness becomes obvious to everyone. At some point in time in, in their marriage, Brenda seemed to go through um, some sort of transformation. Here, Rob was conservative, um, middle America values, and, and she goes from being a, the conservatively dressed uh, person to where she's starting to wear provocative outfits, you know, just this side of a streetwalker. She's wanting to, to provoke him and show disrespect to him. Whatever her intentions, it quickly becomes clear that Brenda and Rob are starting to have very different priorities. While he's taking Bible classes five days a week, she's saying, how tight can I wear my leather dress and go out and flirt with men? So here is a real strong sign that the marriage is in trouble and Brenda has one foot out the door. In the fall of 1997, after 13 years of marriage, Brenda's seductive fantasies are about to become a reality when she and Rob befriend Rick, a successful oil executive. Brenda and Rick had an affair for probably a year or more. They would meet uh, wherever they could and whenever they could when he could get away. So clearly, this was a sign that Brenda was having a problem with Rob. She wanted to be experienced in a very different way, in a way that perhaps Rob couldn't experience his wife. An affair is very liberating. You don't have to deal with screaming children. You don't have to deal with bills. You don't have to deal with, you know, going grocery shopping. It's all about great sex. And for Brenda, Part of the excitement is how bold and brazen her behavior can be. Several times, uh, Brenda Andrew hired a babysitter who came over to watch the kids while she left to go do some grocery shopping. Uh, before leaving the shop, she got uh, dressed up in a, like she was going out to a party. When she came back uh, from shopping, there were no groceries to be put away. 
But by early 1998, the secret romance begins to reveal itself in little ways. As Brenda and Rick continue meeting in motels for steamy sexual interludes, Rob Andrews starts to suspect something is going on between his buddy and his wife. Apparently, Rob was concerned about the relationship with Rick, and maybe it was getting into his psyche that, uh, that Brenda had something more than friendship with Rick. Finally, Rob's growing suspicions are too much to ignore. He needs to know the truth. He did follow uh, her and drive over to Rick's house and saw Brenda's car there. One could see where a man who's dedicated his whole entire life to being a loyal husband, a loyal family man, could become violent, could become volatile, could become enraged that his wife is having sex with another man. Rob went out so far as to get out of his car, uh, rap on the door, no answer. Finally, uh, Brenda came to the door and uh, indicated that she was there to help Rick's daughter bake cookies. But Rob had gotten suspicious and probably was more so by that time. It's possible that the close call has shaken Brenda. Shortly after, she decides to end her year-long illicit sexual affair with Rick. But Brenda's unable to put a stop to her driving desires for very long. Soon after, the lonely housewife sets her sights on local grocery store manager, James. He's a very good-looking guy, a little bit older, married to his high school sweetheart, and she liked the idea of seducing him. Brenda initiated the romance. One day, she handed him a motel room key and said, you passed the test. Who goes up to a man, hands them a hotel key, and says, you passed the test? It just doesn't seem to really happen in real life. Brenda got a high, a charge, from presenting herself in this sexualized way. She wanted to seduce, and she wanted to be seduced. And there was something about that, acting on her primitive animalistic impulses that she seemed to enjoy. Just like before, Brenda launches herself full steam into an intense erotic affair that lasts for the next 16 months. They apparently met several times a week he was very uh, excited about her. So if you look at marriage, it's not necessarily an aphrodisiac as it is. And then you have Brenda, who's married to Rob, somebody who's somewhat pious. So Brenda wants this hot, nasty sex. She's not going to go to Rob to get it. She's going to go to some good-looking guy who she sexualizes and fantasizes with who she can land in a seedy motel and have just sex to her heart's content. For James, the sultry seductress is almost too good to be true. He said that Brenda was sexually extremely active and had a, just a, an insatiable appetite for sex. He questioned whether he could even keep up with her. They even went so far as to uh, have sex in a car uh, at one point because they couldn't wait. 
But to Brenda, the affair isn't just about sex. She's truly lonely and feels neglected by Rob. She, at one point, uh, suggested that uh, she didn't feel bad at all about cheating on him because he was so caught up in his own thing and not her. But in May of 2001, Brenda shocks James and abruptly breaks off their frequent sexual rendezvous. She told him that she was tired of him. Uh, he wasn't any fun anymore, but she would like to remain friends, which they did. Now, after a series of adulterous affairs, it seems like Brenda has finally fulfilled and exhausted her most intense sexual desires. She begins teaching Bible study classes at the family church and tries to repair her marriage with a grateful Rob. You see so many men who, who are really dropping the ball in their marriage. They don't care, they're not trying, but Rob Andrew was just the direct opposite of that. Rob Andrew was busting himself to try to make uh, all of this work and make his wife happy. Brenda seems to be a changed woman until one day in the spring of 2001 when she meets a new member of the congregation, retired military man James Pavat. Brenda met James Pavat at the North Point Church where they all belonged. He was there with his wife, who is Korean. James Pavat's background was that he was an insurance agent for New York. He had been an army officer. James Pavat is a nice-looking man. But what makes Pavat different from the other men in Brenda's life isn't what he looks like. It's how he acts. He told people that he had been in combat in a covert small group, that he had killed many people. When Brenda sees James Pavette, all bells go off. Here's a man who's a real man's man. He's a bad man who likes being a bad man. Brenda feels herself drawn to Pavat, but she has no idea that their meeting in the pleasant corridors of their church will eventually lead them all down a path to unbelievable violence and murder. It's May 2001 in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. Brenda Andrew is married to her high school sweetheart, Rob, but their young love has worn down over time. After 16 years of marriage, Brenda has initiated a series of adulterous affairs, and she's just met a very appealing man, the newest member of her church congregation, insurance salesman James Pavat. James Pavat became friends with both Rob and Brenda, uh, because they were in a social group that met afterwards, sometimes for ice cream or supper. So they became close, and it was natural that Brenda and James could then decide to teach Sunday school together. But teaching Sunday school is only a hobby for insurance salesman Pavat. He begins using his new church friends to prospect for life insurance clients. And one of his first potential customers is Rob. Jim Pavada proposed Rob Andrew to uh, purchase a life insurance policy uh, worth $800,000. Rob Andrew, being a man that cared deeply for his family and wanted to have his family well taken care of in the case of his death, 
uh, decided it would be a good idea to purchase the uh, insurance policy from James Pavatt. But Rob's insurance policy isn't the only thing Pavatt seems to be pursuing. Pavet probably sees in Brenda somebody he can have great sex with. I mean, <laughs> let's call a spade a spade. Guys will look at women and say, do I want to have sex with them? Will they have sex with me? So really have two peas in a pod here who are just destined to be together. When Brenda and Pavat start teaching a weekly Bible class to a group of sixth graders, they quickly become the talk of the town. People would, would notice uh, when Brenda Andrew was teaching the uh, Sunday school class with James that she was wearing low-cut blouses and dresses. Then they began seeing them at lunch, out at lunch together, and thought they were too uh, cozy, more like boyfriend and girlfriend instead of uh, associates uh, working together for on the church class. Rumors are circulating that the two married Bible study teachers are growing too close. One of the ministers even had the job of taking Rob aside, saying, what's the deal with your wife and James Pavatt? But while gossip persists, no one in the congregation really knows what's going on behind closed doors. But then, one day in the summer of 2001, Brenda and Pavatt make a very public display. People in the church noticed that they were sitting in church together with Rob on the other side, holding hands, acting more like a couple than simply friends as teachers. I mean, to hold hands, especially since Brenda is married to somebody else, and somebody else in the church who everybody knows, just shows you she's not thinking, she's just acting. Everyone in the congregation notices, especially Rob. Horrified by his wife's shameless behavior, he turns to his church friends for guidance. Ron Stump was a member of the church that Rob and Brenda belonged to. Ron became Rob's confidant. Robert told Ronnie that Brenda and he were not having sex, hadn't had sex in years, and that he was uh, often sleep on the couch and that he would find a lot of lingerie, sexy lingerie around the house and it wasn't being used for his benefit. I think at that point, Rob knew his marriage was really in trouble. He knew that the friendship with Pavat was blooming into something else, but I don't think he knew what to do about it. Thea confided in Ronnie Stump that, that Brenda was having an affair. Uh, she wouldn't end it and that, uh, he felt his family was ending. At evening church services on September 16th, 2001, the building tensions between Rob, his wife Brenda, and her lover Pavat finally come to a head. Rob arrives late to find Brenda and the children sitting with James Pavat. After services, he confronts Pavat in the church parking lot. The confrontation was pretty, pretty loud. He was asking Pavat to leave the church and to leave Brenda alone. And Pavat confronted him at that point, and I believe it was a shouting match. Rob realized when his wife was cheating on him and dressing like a hooker and not having sex with him, this was not what he had in mind, and perhaps it was time to make a change. Three days after Rob's argument in the church parking lot with James Pavat, the situation escalates. Now there's even more public humiliation. 
Eventually, the, the elders of the church removed Brenda and James from their teaching positions at the church because of behavior that they were displaying and the way she was dressing. Brenda is irate and blames Rob for her banishment from the church. Brenda was in tears about that. She thought that Rob had instigated it with the elders, and she blamed that on Rob. She said, Rob is making it so that we can't be in the same church. This is where we begin to see Brenda really unraveling. Her notion of cause and effect doesn't exist. She doesn't understand the notion of behavior and consequences. It's like, it's not even considered. That's a real problem. Brenda was so upset about her teaching position being terminated at the church and Rob not backing her and supporting her that she told him he had to leave the house. In late September 2001, Rob moves out of the Andrew family home. In his mind, it's a temporary separation, but Brenda quickly hires lawyers who file for divorce. Living alone, Rob Andrew now has to face the crushing reality that his dreams of marriage and family may be shattered forever. So here we have a very religious man who everything for him is about being a good family man. And he's married to this woman who dresses like she's a hooker, embarrasses him by having affairs with men in the town. One could certainly see where a man like Rob could have homicidal fantasies about a wife like Brenda and start to envision himself free of having a wife like this. Rob and Brenda's divorce hearing is scheduled to begin on November 1st. But a few days beforehand, Rob is shocked by what he discovers on his way to work. Rob, who's now living in an apartment because she's kicked him out of the house. One morning, he gets in his car to drive to work. And as he's driving to work, he finds out that his brakes aren't working. Rob hits the brake pedal furiously to no avail. The Andrews' all-American marriage has been torn apart by a messy love triangle. Now, is Rob's car malfunctioning, or is someone trying to kill him? I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. 
Hey, it's Janice from Warner Brothers Discovery. Have you ever heard the expression, perfect is the enemy of good? I think about that a lot, especially when it comes to my body and health, because perfect does not exist. It's a total trap. Noom isn't into this perfection thing either. Its unique approach is tailored to each person's psychology and biology. From coaching to recipes, Noom's app provides personalized information to help you on your journey, no one else's journey. I also think it's great that Noom doesn't restrict what you can eat, and it doesn't shame you for treating yourself. And treat yourself, you should. What's more, Noom's approach is grounded in science. They've even published more than 30 peer-reviewed scientific articles about how they work. To date, Noom has helped more than 5.2 million people lose weight by helping them build new habits for a healthier lifestyle. So why not give it a try? Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com. And check out Noom's first-ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. It's late October 2001 in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. Mother of two, Brenda Andrew, is divorcing her husband, Rob, while carrying on an affair with her fellow Bible studies teacher, James Pavat. A few days before their divorce hearing on his way to work, Rob is horrified to discover that his brakes aren't working. Scared for his life, Rob somehow manages to reach a mechanic's garage, and their inspection reveals something shocking. Immediately, uh, they tell him, somebody's cut your brake lines. And things only become more bizarre. A few minutes later, Rob receives an urgent phone call from an anonymous young woman saying that his wife and children are in a hospital emergency room 25 miles away in Norman, Oklahoma. He decided to call Ron Stump as his confidant, and Ron told him, you're crazy, don't go, you're being set up. But Rob said, if the kids are there, I've gotta go, gotta be there, so I'll go down there. He rents a car and he goes to the hospital just on the odd chance that his kids are there. When he realizes nobody's there, he then realizes somebody really is out to get him, and that's scary. For Rob, no matter how shocking the idea is, the reality of this situation is clear. Rob immediately said, somebody's trying to kill me. He calls the police, explaining how the brake lines and the fake hospital phone call are related. And in Rob's mind, there are only two suspects, his wife and her lover. Rob would believe that the reason James and Brenda were trying to kill him was so they could collect on a, a life insurance policy. The same $800,000 life insurance policy that James Pavat had sold to Rob only a few months earlier. But police remain skeptical, despite the brake lines being cut. You know, it's one thing for him to say, well, I think uh, uh, Brenda did, or maybe even uh, Jim Pavat, but there is nothing the law enforcement people can do. I mean, what do you do? But Rob knows deep down that something is very wrong. That night, he goes home, ready to take matters into his own hands, only to discover something even more disturbing. After the uh, brake line incident, Robert called uh, Prudential Insurance to remove Brenda as a beneficiary on the policy. 
He was told that he no longer owned the policy and he could not make a beneficiary change. Rob's reaction was shocked because he did not sign a beneficiary change and, and didn't know anything about it. Rob calls Brenda to tell her about the breakline incident and the fake hospital phone call. But to Rob's surprise, Brenda already knows about the breakline incident. How could she already know, Rob wonders? Did she set him up? Are his fears real or delusional? Five days later, Rob and Brenda meet at their divorce hearing. An exhausted Rob is in no mood to argue. Rob basically gives Brenda everything. The house with the paid off mortgage. She's getting money for herself and her kids. But there's one thing Rob won't give Brenda. He's adamant about changing the beneficiary on his life insurance policy from Brenda to his children. And at that point, Brenda goes insane. She starts screaming, yelling. And we were all befuddled. We didn't know what to think. We thought, why is she so hung up on the policy? She was kind of crying and sobbing about, it's mine, it's mine. But Rob won't budge on the policy, and Brenda has to relent. The divorce is now final, and a new day of co-parenting is dawning on Rob and Brenda's life. A few weeks later, on November 20th, 2001, Rob arranges to pick up the kids at Brenda's house for Thanksgiving. He's excited to bring them to his parents' house for the holiday. But Rob's day suddenly turns into a nightmare of blood and violence. It's November 2001 in the suburbs of Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. Stay-at-home mom Brenda Andrew is divorcing her husband Rob and having an affair with a member of their church, James Pavat. They've agreed to share custody of their two children. But when Rob comes to pick up the kids for Thanksgiving, there is an incident of shocking violence. I was working about a block and a half from where the actual murder took place when the call came in that there'd been a home invasion robbery with her husband being shot. And I was at the residence within 10 seconds when it happened. Almost immediately after the shootings, police sirens and flashing ambulance lights flood the quiet cul-de-sac. There was uh, two officers, uh, along with myself, that arrived pretty much at the same time. And uh, as we pulled up, the garage door was up, and uh, there was a man laying on the floor. There was a big, big puddle of blood uh, laying around the guy who was laying on the floor with uh, pop cans laid all around him. And it looked like he had tried to grab them to protect himself from the shotgun. He was laying on his back, and he was obviously dead. The dead man on the ground is Rob Andrew. But he's not the only one who's been shot. Next to him, bleeding and distressed, is Brenda. She's been shot in the arm. 
Brenda is uh, breathing really fast, like she's hyperventilating and uh, holding her arm. We asked Brenda what had happened, and uh, she said two guys had tried to rob them and had shot Rob, and then as she started to run, they shot her. As investigators secure the crime scene, they also tend to a wounded Brenda. But her behavior seems very strange. I set her down at the curb, and uh, she's still hyperventilating, and in the middle of her acting like she was hyperventilating, she would stop and talk like it was no big deal. Uh, that seemed very strange to myself. And I asked her if the suspects had said anything to her. She stated they had said six or seven words in which she didn't recall what those six or seven words were, and which was very strange because uh, I've investigated approximately 100 robberies, and uh, the victims can tell you verbatim what was said when the robber came in to take the money or whatever he was robbing them of. According to her, uh, these guys just showed up, shot them, and then ran out. The information she was giving us wasn't falling like it should if you actually come into a robbery and the robbery went bad. Investigators are perplexed by Brenda's answers, but it's what she doesn't say that makes them become truly suspicious of her. Brenda showed no concern for her husband who had been shot in the garage floor. She did not ask me one time if he was alive or if he was dead or anything. Police transport Brenda to the local hospital to have her wounds treated. At the hospital, yet another piece of Brenda's story begins to unravel. When Brenda got to the hospital, you can tell by the gunpowder that it's a close contact wound, which is nothing like the evidence that she had said had happened because if you went to run away from somebody, they're gonna shoot more of a center mass. They're gonna hit you in the middle of the back, not in an arm at close range. Doctors determine that Brenda's injury is no more than a flesh wound and discharge her. But the police have decided they're not done with Brenda yet. After Brenda's treated at the hospital, uh, I transport her to the homicide office where the homicide detectives uh, interview her. I asked Brenda, you know, if she loved Rob, and she said she loved and hated him. Uh, I'm thinking that there's something wrong here because this woman's been married to him for 17 years. She's not distraught at all. After a lengthy interview, a horrifying explanation is beginning to seem possible. I'm starting to think that this was a setup murder. But without a murder weapon or a specific motive, they let Brenda go. Four days later, hundreds of people gather for Rob's funeral. But as the service is about to begin, a buzz spreads throughout the crowd. No one had seen Brenda or the children or Pavat. The buzz was frantic. Where is Brenda? Why are the children not there? After the funeral, the Andrews neighbors, Judy and Dean Gigstad, ask investigators to come to their home. They found something strange. Someone has been in their house, and they've left behind what looks like evidence of a shooting. The closet door was open, and against it was sitting an empty shotgun shell. At that point, we decided to definitely call the police. 
Officers went to the gig stag's home and they found a shotgun shell and also some uh, 22 caliber bullets up in the attic. Police rush the bullets to their forensic labs and within just a few hours, they get a huge break in the investigation. The shotgun shell was found to be fired from the same shotgun as the shotgun shell which was recovered at the crime scene in the Andrews garage. Once we discovered the evidence, we immediately began to realize that that's where the suspect went after the shooting occurred. Whoever had killed Rob had come to our house following the murder, gotten in, hidden in our house, waited till the police were gone from the uh, crime scene, and then exited. Uh, at that time, they advised us that Brenda, in fact, did have a key to their house. Brenda and Pavat are already prime suspects, based on the police reports Rob had filed before his death. Now that the police have found shotgun shells matching the murder weapon in the house next door, and Brenda is the only person other than the owners with a key to that house, the police are convinced that Brenda and Pavat have planned and executed Rob Andrews' murder. I have tried extremely complex homicides before that have been very difficult, very intelligently done, incredible alibi set up, very complicated. This was nothing like that. It was done so incompetently. It was like connecting uh, the pieces to a jigsaw puzzle, although you really didn't need uh, that many pieces. Nine days after Rob's death, the Oklahoma City District Attorney's Office files first-degree murder charges against Brenda Andrew and James Pavat. They're accused of killing Rob and staging Brenda's shooting to cash in on Rob's $800,000 insurance policy before Rob could change the beneficiary. The neighborhood is a very nice Oklahoma City suburb. You do not see masked men showing up in garages to assassinate a successful vice president of, a, of an ad company. Brenda is not the grieving, weeping, uh, shock-filled individual uh, at all. Ultimately, when, when she and the children aren't even at the funeral, that's when, you know, it's, it's, it's done. There's, there's a no-brainer at this point. But when the police go to arrest Brenda and James Pavat, they vanished without a trace and no one's seen the children for days. <laughs> Stay-at-home mom, Brenda Andrew, and her lover, James Pavat, are on the run, accused of murdering Brenda's husband, Rob Andrew. Right after the arrest warrants were issued, uh, the Andrew murder became front-page news uh, for it seemed like weeks. The FBI got involved. They put out missing persons notices on the children. It was a, a major news story. You, you just don't get any bigger. The diabolical nature to it, the betrayal, the treachery. It had all of the elements of, of the kind of novel you would read. The police don't know where their suspects have gone until they begin tapping the phone of James Pavat's grown daughter, whom the couple relentlessly calls. 
One of the phone calls that uh, the daughter received asked her to send $5,000 because uh, Mexican bandits had supposedly kidnapped them and they needed $5,000 for uh, ransom. When the daughter only sent $500, she got another phone call and Brenda was cussing her out and Pravat threatened her and he said, I'll kill you, I'll kill your daughter, and I'll kill your mother if you don't send me this money. Well, the truth is, is that they were running out of money down there. The police and FBI have photographs of Brenda and Pavat posted at every crossing point along the Mexican border. And on February 28, 2002, three months after Rob's murder, Brenda and Pavat are arrested trying to enter Hidalgo, Texas from Mexico. Her two children are placed in police care. Uh, upon searching the vehicle, it was found that they, in fact, had been living out of the car. And there was not much food in there, some, a couple of cans of tuna fish and some coins. They were down to coins. In 2004, Brenda Andrews stands trial for murder in the first degree and conspiracy to commit murder. Rob's parents are awarded temporary custody of the children pending the outcome of the case. The prosecution lays out a chilling account of Rob's murder, along with a phony alibi of Brenda being shot. It's two days before Thanksgiving, and he is coming over to pick up the children. She supposedly has got some problem with her hot water heater and gets him to come on up into the garage and, and help. He's been over looking at it. When Jim Pavat comes in from the side with Rob Andrews' 16-gauge shotgun and shoots him. Next, he pulls out a handgun to shoot Brenda in the arm. Pavat then rushes across the street to hide in the neighbor's house while Brenda calls 911. 911. <laughs> After deliberating for seven hours, the jury finds Brenda Andrew guilty and sentences her to death by lethal injection. James Pavat, in a separate trial, receives the same sentence. To me, the reason why the Andrew murder stands out in its utter depravity was the treacherous nature, the betrayal nature of it. But you can understand somebody getting shot um, behind the counter at a 7-Eleven. But your ex-wife plotting to see you dead, that's, that's, that's almost unfathomable. Why wasn't divorce enough of an option? I mean, he wasn't abusing her, he wasn't hitting her, he wasn't gambling away the family finances. He made it possible for Brenda to be a stay-at-home mom as she wanted to be. So she wasn't happy with him. So she didn't want to spend the rest of her life with him. So what? I mean, a lot of women feel that way, and they find very different ways of handling that situation. You see a lot of death as a prosecutor. And the ones that are particularly grieving are the ones in which there is a, a personal treachery done to one person who's actually a very good person. It's the person you don't, in, in a movie, you don't ever want to see that person die. They're the, they're the good guy. Rob Andrew was the good guy. Sit 
sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.